Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to the Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Based in Norfolk, Virginia, USA, Roger Richards works in nonfiction and fiction film production and photojournalism documentary photography. He's the recipient of numerous awards for photography, video, multimedia, and picture editing from the National Press Photographers Association, the White House News Photographers Association, Pictures of the Year International, and Society of Professional Journalists. He was twice nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in 1990 and 2008. As a filmmaker, his work has screened in cinemas such as art house and multiplexes operated by AMC, Regal, and Landmark across the USA and at film festivals and alternate venues like universities and high schools. His first documentary, Sarajevo Roses, a cinematic essay, has been seen by audiences in Europe and the USA. Roger also collaborates with other directors and producers as a cinematographer and film editor on their projects, including most recently Roger Sorkin's Tidewater, John Bowermaster's Dear President Obama, Mitty Mirror's Gold Star Children, and James Keach's 2015 biopic, Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. Roger is the author of the Digital Filmmaker's Self-Distribution Handbook. And Carol, I understand Roger is fiscally sponsored by From the Heart for his film, yes, Sarajevo Roses. Sarajevo Roses, he raised the money through From the Heart. We thank you so much, Roger, for joining us. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for having me, Claire. Good, because we want to cover a lot of information today. And we're going to start with your background and then get into what's being paid for independent films and mm-hmm. find out the reasons that you chose to self-distribute and learn as much as we can today from you about this self-distribution. Uh, but I understand that you were a photojournalist, and then you decided that you wanted to make your own film. So tell us about this. Yes, I, um, I, uh, when I was starting out in the, in the industry, I essentially I was a, uh, a, f- a photographer, and then I played, I should say, I played around with, with film as a, when I was very young as a lighting crewman. But I decided I wanted to focus on photojournalism, and I did that for quite a few years. And um, in the beginning of the 1990s, I was in Bosnia covering the siege of Sarajevo, and I was working for a French-American news agency. At the time, I realized that it was going to be a lot more than I think people were were thinking that war was going to be. And I, I felt compelled that I had to do something a little bit to go beyond the photography and the writing that I was doing. And I decided I was going to make a film. And over year, over the years, I start, I put the material together and started collecting it. And then the actual active focus shooting began in the, I should say, mid 1990s. So um, it was a, it was a 24 year span before the film actually screened and as it's it's interesting that uh, today is the actual third anniversary to the day of the screening of our fine cut when the first the first uh, of the audience saw it anywhere, and it was at the Sarajevo Film Festival. So it's really interesting talking to you about this today. Isn't that wonderful? This is its birthday. That's when it came out to the universe, right? <laughs> yes, it is. It was, well, it's, how uh, was something. it? Re- did they like it, Roger? Yes, it was quite nerve-wracking, I would tell you, because uh, you're dealing with uh, the trauma of an entire nation here. And uh, a city that's, in, a, in essence, 
quite a lot like our, you know, like our own society. It was a very modern city. It was just everything. And it, why I think I was compelled to make the film was because I thought that um, it was almost exactly like what it would look like if modern civilization melted down. The the film was very well received. Um, I was very nervous about that. We Our, our initial screening um, sold out quickly. And so they decided to put on an, another screening of the film, and that one sold out in three hours. My goodness. And, um, yes, it was something. And um, why this was kind of nerve-wracking is because uh, the Sarajevo Film Festival is now the leading um, uh, film festival for um, Southeast Europe and that region. It's it's like a magnet of all the great films that are you know from that region. And um, we had people who were, you know, we had Hollywood films there. You know, the, the festival was opened by Robert De Niro. And it was um, quite a little bit of, a, of, a, of an experience, I would have to say. And De Niro came, Roger? He was there? He was not. He didn't see the film. He was the person. He, um, he opened the film festival. And every year they have these uh, big filmmakers who, Come uh, world-renowned filmmakers who open the the uh, festival. They have about a hundred thousand people attending in the space of about uh, about nine or ten days. It's a huge festival. My heavens, Very I had no films. idea it was that big. That's amazing. It is. It is a big film. It's it's now evolved into a it's a, an Oscar qualifying film festival. It's um it's one of those hidden gems, and a lot of filmmakers go. Um, uh, who are in the know from that region and from it, it, it began during the during the war during the siege, mm-hmm. and you know over the years it's evolved into this really a, 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 a launching point for many great filmmakers. Wow, well, I, I'm so glad you're sharing that because I've never heard that, and that's a good one to put on the list if you uh, if you want it seen in that part of the world. That's good. Oh, now, yes. I wanted to you to tell us about your nominations for the Pulitzer Prize. Oh, um, well, um, in 1989, I uh, I discovered um, some situations going on in South Florida having to do with um, it was in the middle of the, the crack cocaine wars, and you know it was devastating neighborhoods in the United States. I focused in one particular area in Broward County, Florida, and I uh, spent several months working nonstop, just essentially. Um, I worked on a report that was for the, the Miami Herald's their Tropic magazine, and when it came out, it caused a stir and everything, and um, I ended up getting a Pulitzer nomination for that work. Oh, how marvelous. Must have been yes, compelling and, uh, visuals. It was it was uh, it was really an interesting experience. We got to see, you know, essentially before that, I had been working um, a lot in Central America and so on, in El Salvador, Nicaragua, and coming back to the United States, I saw that there was this um, conflict that was going on in our streets that most people knew nothing about. That's right. We are always looking mm-hmm. abroad and talking about what happens to other countries, but some <laughs> of that um, at poverty and despair is right here in America. So thank you for shining a light on that. That's wonderful. Thank you. Now, it's, um, it's, it's, it's um, as, as we say in our business, it's, it's what we do. It's what you do. Well, thank you for that because it seems to me that – we're getting fewer and fewer journalists, and that's why uh, From the Heart promotes documentaries because, in my mind, documentaries are uh, the, the journalist of the future. I mean, when you do a film and you show both sides of it and let us decide what's the truth, it's, a, it's really important because quite often we don't get two sides in the news. We only get one. Unless you want to keep changing the stations, <laughs> it's really hard to know who to believe. <laughs> Absolutely right. It's um, because it, it then becomes propaganda. 
um, and so the, the, it's walking the fine line. I think um, uh, Christiane Amanpour said it very well. Um, Christiane was in Bosnia, and she was like one of those people who, um, uh, you know, she's an amazing journalist, and her thought was that our obligation as a journalist is not to be is not to be um, is not to be completely equal fifty fifty, but our 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 option oh, sorry no, our obligation is to the truth and to be fair that's what our obligation is it is to be fair to the evidence to the truth fair and that's, that's greatly fair appreciated. to the evidence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the evidence here's what i've found and you decide uh yes mm-hmm. well done Oh, I, I adore her. I think she's a really a brilliant lady, and she's brought us so much good information. Well, fearless. now back to absolutely fearless. Fearless is she really when you work with? Her? Oh my goodness! Oh, she's. Um, I didn't work with her. Um, I knew her from um, uh, meeting her in in Sarajevo. I didn't work with her in the field, but I have friends who worked with her, and you know they talk about. You know, women journalists, you know, if we want to even talk about that right now, one of the best teams there, there were, you know, Margaret Moth, her her camera, um, her camera person, absolutely fearless. And also they, they produced reports that were just amazing and just dead on to the truth, to the facts. Wow. That's great. And she had a woman cameraman with her. I'm sorry, oh, yeah. a woman camera person. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Well, how, I, I was wondering, how long did you work in the industry before you thought you were ready to make your own film? Hmm. It's interesting because um, I always knew in the back, I, I, I kind of over time, as, because I was already a storyteller, I knew I, I was, I worked as a writer, I wrote for the Washington Post and and um, as working as a photojournalist, I combined packages together. Um, I got kind of fed up uh, in the early in the in the in the late 1980s. I got fed up with having story ideas and then hearing from magazines, "Well, who's going to write it? We don't have the budget for this, whatever." So I, you know, I started picking the brains of some good writers that I knew and being able to put everything together and. Um, so I kind of knew how to tell a story already, but then you had to add that other aspect of it because, you know, it's cinema. And I thought cinema essentially was where I wanted to be. Um, and so I started to research a lot of cinema. And um, uh, one of the people who influenced me, I would have to say, was uh, Charles Guggenheim. Uh, the father of Davis Guggenheim. Um, and Charles, I think he had maybe three Oscars and I was working on a, a, doing a portrait assignment of him in the nineties. And he said that um, different people come to documentary from different areas. And he, one of those who encouraged me to keep pushing. Good. Good. This is what it takes. You know, you need support. I find this every day. Uh, for documentary filmmakers, it, uh, Lily Tomlin said, we're all in this boat alone together. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. Everybody feels like they're, they're on their own tack alone, but we're truly, we're all together. But they need support, and they have to hear from someone that it's okay, keep going, that's normal. Some people call me and say, Carol, it's taking me five years. And I say, don't worry, <laughs> because... Six years is the average to make a doc. It's okay. Uh, it takes a long time. It does. Well, that's what this yeah. show is about. We're trying to give as many tips as we can to speed things up. Sure. Because uh, the things that you've learned and experienced can help other people. And um, and I have to say I'm so impressed that you got into Werner Herzog's class. I mean, <laughs> he is real picky. So tell us. Tell us about the class and maybe share He's, something you learned. Uh, Werner's brilliant. Um, uh, and he's, he's an iconoclast. And, uh, you know, he is everything that a lot of people think they know about him and more. <laughs> um, 
essentially um, what I what happened with Werner was that we heard about he was giving these master he, he was making these master classes pretty soon, and um, he was looking out for a certain kind of mindset of different people. And he opened, he has these, uh, he calls it his rogue film school. It's there about four days. Um, and he just announces them maybe a few months in advance. And it, it can be anywhere in the world. And he just decides where he wants to hold it. And he throws the doors open. And, you know, different filmmakers from across the globe pitch their stories. And you have to give your bio and all this kind of thing. And he's not necessarily looking for the most brilliant filmmaker. He's looking for interesting people who are who are looking to push the envelope and who don't quit. And that that kind of um, he's looking for that. So he, he I, I thought that I, I, I because I've been working in, a, in this for a while, and even though there was still so much to learn. I thought that maybe, you know, he might see something in the film. And right. um, he essentially, from what I understood, he, out of all the people who apply, he personally selects who's going to be in his master class. And, um, you know, when we, when I met him for the first time, when we showed up, he had this thing and I, you know, this was in, it was in London, and he said, I told him what film I was working on, and he immediately looked, he looked at me, and he glanced down, and, and, he, and he looked at me directly in the eye and says, ah, yes, Sarah of the Roses. He says, you must finish this film. It is a huge responsibility. You must finish this film. Wonderful. And immediately I thought, I thought my, my, everything just went up, the motivation level. Sure. Right. With someone of his ilk to say that, that's a big pat on the back. Wonderful. I think that it wasn't so much, I think it was just the topic itself, how important it was, because the film as it is right now, as it is right now, was not exactly the same then, but he saw something that, um, that, was necessary to try and a different approach. And it's not like he was looking at something that was a brilliant piece of filmmaking, but I think he saw something that was potentially there and he was trying to help us, you know, help me to take it to the next level. Well, I would think it would be your images because that's the secret to a photographer. You guys have an eye. I call it the eye. And you know when you've got that shot, right? You might take that is 20, true. 50 shots in one day or 10 rolls of film, but you know where the shot really is. You know it when you got it, right? Yes, absolutely. I would agree with you on that. There's a, such a thing, um, a friend of mine, uh, Dirk Halstead, um, who was the White House chief White House photographer for Time Magazine for 29 years, he had this thing. He said that when a photographer makes an image, it says it's like you have what they call photographic lint. <laughs> you, <laughs> you may not, you make this picture, and even though you may not, you maybe years later, maybe a long time after, but you know in the back of your head that you made an image, you made this particular image. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually personified that with. Um, do you remember that famous photograph of Monica Lewinsky with President Clinton? Yes. Um, well, he made that picture at a White House event, and it was on film. And you know, a lot of other photographers were there, but they threw out their digital images and everything. And he, when the whole scandal broke, he had an idea that he had made this picture. So he said, I knew I made that picture with him somehow. And he had a researcher go through thousands upon thousands upon thousands of his photographs. <laughs> and sure enough, they dug that picture out. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and it became the thing, right? It went straight to the top. Yes. Yes, it was the photo. It was a double truck in time and um, a double spread. 
And but he he knew. Uh, he absolutely knew. Right. Well, um, what about the story for Sarajevo Roses? Did you mm-hmm. um, did you find that in the war zone when you were shooting, or how did you create mm-hmm. it? That's a, that's a really good question. What often will happen as when you're making um, a nonfiction film is that it, the story will morph over time, and you have you start with an initial concept and you have the the gem of what you'd like to convey and in, in in essence what i wanted to do with this film was to show at heart what happens when a modern society starts to melt down and over time it started to change i had tried one approach i tried another and then it finally, as it, I got to a point where I wasn't even absolutely sure what kind of film I had, but I knew I had to step away. And I stepped away, and I kept working on it, but I stepped away, and I, uh, and I gained some other knowledge working in other people's films. And then something out of the blue happened where, where I reconnected with one of the people who I'd photographed, and everything just kind of came together. And wow! It was just like it was all it was all I should say downhill for, in a sense with the narrative after that. When I say downhill, I mean downhill smooth running. Yes, but sometimes you know you do have to step away. I've seen that happen with films being a fiscal sponsor for twenty some odd years now, where um, mm-hmm. sometimes the universe actually will step in and put it on hold and you think, Well I can't <laughs> I, I can't move forward. It's not working. And you have to just walk away. But that's because mm-hmm. w- the universe is holding you up for a real good reason. And when you go mm-hmm. back to it, then you know, like you said, it's ready and things work for you. Renewed energy. Absolutely yes. correct, Carol. Renewed energy, and the, what happened with Sarajevo Roses was one of the, the, the catalysts was one of the lead characters in the film. Um, I had not seen her for, I didn't even know she survived the war. And oh. she happened to be in a photograph that actually became um, um, one of those images that uh, it was a, became iconic of the Siege of Sarajevo. And that's the interesting thing about photography is that you can never intend for your work to have an effect or for it to have. They, they, they develop their own life. You, 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 you do the best you can. You make the photographs just like a film, and you put it out there. The audience decides. Um, you, your obligation is to do the best you can. So she, I made a photograph of her running from a sniper. It became iconic. I had no idea whether this woman survived the war. Yeah. And out of the blue, I get this email saying, "Hi, um, I'm the, um, the I'm the the girl in your picture running. I just wanted to let you know that um, I'm still alive." And blah blah blah. And I was like, "Oh, oh my God!" <laughs> How wonderful! How wonderful! All those years later, right? Yeah, yeah. It was pretty amazing. And I've been in touch with some of the other people but not her. And mm-hmm. she is one of the main characters in the entire, one of the main cast members of the whole film. One of the glue. Without any of them, the film would not have worked. Wow. And That's fabulous. How, it's really interesting. Well, yes, because you, you saved that moment forever. That moment will never be forgotten. And, uh, and that is for all of us to see what it's like when you're running for your life. That's none of us in America. I mean, very few have ever experienced that. So, well done. <laughs> well, thank you. There's an incredible backstory behind that too, and I just want to kind of just to show you how these things work. Um, that image was um, uh, the director Angelina Jolie. Her, her 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 debut as a film director was a film called In the Land uh, Land of um, Blood and Honey, and the lead actor her name was Zana Zana Marianovich, and I met Zana when I went back to the back to film the last part of Sarajevo Roses, 
and I was introduced by somebody from the embassy. And Zana had become, she's not only a well-known actress, but a member of parliament there and so on. And what happened was that Zana afterwards said to me that she didn't realize that at first that I was a photographer who had made that picture of, of, of that young woman running, Sanda. And I said, oh, yeah. And she says, well, it's interesting you should know that when we were doing the, the story, filming Angelina's film, Angelina handed me a copy of this photograph and said, I'd like you to pat- pattern your character off of this photograph. Oh, my gosh. And I know. And then Zana came on board as one of the, um, one of the producers in our film and her husband. <laughs> and, at the, uh, and, and today to the day, when the when the when the fine cut premiered at Sarajevo Film Festival, Zana and this young woman who she played in her first big feature film, Angelina's film, met for the first time. Oh, how exciting! Uh, <laughs> crazy, crazy it, how things work. Yes, but you know, this is a small world. Our film industry is a very small world. And we are mm-hmm. very close to each other. Only two or three are removed from all of us in this industry, I think. Absolutely right. Well, I want to know more now about the Digital Filmmakers Self-Distribution Handbook. I'm so happy you wrote that. Um, let's, <laughs> we've got to get started on that because I am really concerned about the prices that are being paid for docs and features right now. They have gotten so low that it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and <laughs> let's start with the, that because in your handbook, you start with, uh, you start in 2016 and come forward and say what was happening. So you give us a historical mm-hmm. look at what's being paid. Can you do that for us? Oh, oh absolutely. Yes. Um, well, one of the big things when, uh, we were proceeding in Sari Roses, I realized um that um to be able to get the to, to be able to get the return on you know, we don't do this make films, these kinds of films to get rich. But it but we have to make a living and you wanna at least get back some of your money that you put down. And Absolutely. the funding and so it, we have to approach it in that direction and that from that point of view. But it was I noticed that um um, that things were not were not the same. You know, the, the 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 reports that were coming out were you know big films were getting picked up. You know, at these big film festivals, and then you would, but, but the majority of them were not getting a good payday. And I guess. Uh, even the ones that even the ones that get picked up by say Netflix or so on, um, people would hear you know. Uh, half a million dollars or, you know, but this money is, is not paid all up front. That half a million dollars might be paid over a five-year period for whatever the period of the contract is. And that film might cost a, a, a million dollars to make. So, yes. um, you, you're, so the money is coming back piecemeal and you are looking at um, these budgets and all the money and all the time that's been putting into it. And then it's just, it's not encouraging to people. And you, you also start to feel completely disconnected. Um, you, they, you become disconnected in a sense because you have no full control. You know, right. you signed away the rights, you're waiting, it can get buried. Um, there's nothing you can do. And you have people come in and they, they make a film and, they just decide to go unless they have a big guarantee where you have a big agent or something who's able to negotiate these big rights for you, or you have a big name, you know, you know, Alex Gibney, those kinds of people. Right. Um, but majority of us are, are not like, are not like that. Exactly. And, um, so I, I, um, in essence, I, I, I was taking a look at the way things were going, and I thought, you know, you have to decide what are the reasons that I made this film, and you have to decide that for yourself. Is it, you know, what do I want out of this? And um, that was when I started to, re- I made a decision, solid decision that, um, yeah, 
I'm going to kind of start bypassing the film festivals. Good. Sarajevo Film Festival Sarajevo Film Festival is going to be number one. It had uh-huh. to screen there because of the, the the meaning and all that stuff for what it meant for the, the audience. And um, this really came about because I had already figured out who my audience was. Over all these years I was making the film, I knew who I, my core audience was going to be. Right. So that's the key. But that is the key. And I think too many times uh, people with films like yours that are uh, that have a small but powerful audience uh, to to put your time into applying to 30 or 40 film festivals is not advantageous to you financially. It's disappointing. It can be frustrating. It's it's very time consuming. Your time is much mm-hmm. better spent getting directly to your own market, and uh, and so I think that going to uh, conventions and finding the your market through conventions where the acquisition mm-hmm. people are at the convention that care about the subject matter of your film and starting there mm-hmm. to sell is the way to do it. So because community screenings can bring you a lot of money. And you've you found correct. that. Right. Yes. We have to change people's thinking, Roger. <laughs> it is. But what it does happen, though, what happens is a lot of people, they, um, I would say, is that they're, um, it, it's, it's a lot of work, and you have, but you have to be driven by much more than the thought of, um, of the financial return. There has to be a sense of mission. You have to really care about your film, which, which is one of the reasons why I would caution anybody who says they're just going to make a doc film because for it to be, to have, to reach its proper audience and to really get out there, you have to be passionate about that. And it takes a huge amount of energy and a huge amount of um, drive and, and a, a belief in, you know, Werner, Werner had a set, Werner had one of the things that he taught us was his, was this if I don't make this film I will not have lived wow yeah that's what it takes that's literally what it takes and um, what he did for us and I'll go back to back to what he taught us he absolutely eschewed and he said nobody is to bring any digital devices in bring a notebook and a pen Yes. So for the, so for those days, uh-huh. yeah. So I have this manual, self-written ma- uh, manual, essentially written by hand, uh, Moleskine notebook. I got the fanciest, nice notebook I could, so to make it special. <laughs> and um, right. it's the Werner man, the Werner manual. Everything is verbatim. I and love it. This, the stuff that's in there is just. Um, I would say that um, he is one of those people who believes that if you are going to make a film, you have to give it everything you have. Otherwise, don't even bother starting it. Absolutely. And Roger, I think that there is a lot of um, memory recall when you hear something and then you write it down on paper, it's like you're, you're bringing it into the third dimension and then you read it back. And it, uh, this is how I do. I still take a pen and pad with me for any meeting. <laughs> and when my mm-hmm. filmmakers call me, I grab my pen and I start writing because mm-hmm. that's the way I remember things, you know? Absolutely right. Absolutely what I do for every one of my films is I purchase a, a notebook and it's not usually a throwaway notebook. I, ha- I have different pieces of paper if I have to scribble on something, but I pick a special notebook and a, um, I quite often I get a nice pen and sometimes, you know, I've had this, um, I have a fountain pen for a long, long time. And I use that because I formalize the process of doing this. 
and this becomes my reference manual and it's as if you know it's not electronically i you know i i do things on the computer i mostly work on that but for some things that tangible connection to the notebook and the thoughts it makes it somehow more real that's exactly right right well all right so we have to get back to the book so when you mm-hmm. um yes. when you started out on this new path to distribute it in America uh, was it America that you chose to distribute it in yes i thought that because i was aiming for the diaspora um there are a lot of um uh, uh, former yugoslavs living here going back generations back until you know back into world war 2 families would come here and in addition you have the um their connection to the old country and then you have the new wave who came over after the war in the 1990s so you have this huge diaspora and what i tried to do was decide find out what the the the, were the populations were the clusters the areas where my audience lived in these cities and um so, um, you know, I aimed for um, these different cities to find out where they were and what neighborhoods, what, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. And every, every city that I decided to, to, to bring my film to, I researched all the best um, um, cinemas in those cities. Mm-hmm. I found out one by one, city by city. First was the demographic, second was the city um, where they were. Next were were all the cinemas that were in that city, and narrowed every one of it down to the best of all those cinemas in that city. So Before, it, it's like a process where you have to winnow them down. Right. <laughs> you, but you look for the best that was the closest. Uh, uh, Logistically, to your audience, or yes, right, yes, the 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 best that I could logistically, so that people could, um, you know, gather there. Right. Um, the number of factors involved. I I have a a a theatrical distribution partner, and we go into it inside the book. We don't want to, you know, we can't explain everything right now, uh, but essentially, I work with a a a, a theatrical partner. That's the only people who I, you know, I, I, I'm very careful about who I work with. I don't disperse to work with too many different um, uh, partnerships because everything gets a little bit, um, it gets much more complicated then. Try and keep it simple. Right. Right. So you, but, so you find the right theater. You know where your audience is. How did you find the demographics mm-hmm. to know um, how many people were in, like, New York City or what area they were in? How did you find that? You have to find members of the community, whether through organizations. I got lucky because I had a, a friend. Uh, well, this person was a, um, was a follower of my film. And he had friends in all these different places and all these in the communities across the country. And he happens to be somebody who works with figures. And I said, and he, and he offered and he said, well, um, you know, I can, I have friends in all these different cities and I can try and track down how many people are in the, are in the community in these different areas. And he provided that for me. He gave me a spreadsheet. Oh, and in addition, <laughs> in addition to that, I also found the different organizations. I, I linked up with different organizations for the diaspora, Bosnians, Yugoslavs, you know, Croats, Serbs, etc., and found out who were members of these different organizations and how they were connected to their different communities. And they were also able to help me by how many, you know, how many of their members that they had. And they promoted the film to their different um, communities. So essentially, you have to get into the weeds. Yes. And tell us how it paid (laughs) off. What happened? (laughs) What happened next? Oh, well, eventually, once, you know, when I decided to pick these different cities across the USA, um, I, I picked the city, picked the cinema, and then I worked with my theatrical partner, and then it was all up to me to fill the seats. 
and I started promoting the, the these and I put the film out as a special event, and uh-huh. I, I chose special special dates, and we sold out virtually every one of our screenings, and then word of mouth started picking up. You know, we were in Washington D.C., Denver, Colorado, Phoenix, Chicago, Atlanta, you know, Orlando. You know, the film just essentially picked up traction. Uh-huh. St. Louis. And um, once word of mouth started getting out there, you know, people would say, hey, you got to see this film. And for future screenings, and then people would come to the web, our, our Facebook page essentially became central. And that's one of the other things I want to talk about. It's not about how many people you have who are liking your film on that page. It's the quality and the dedication of who's coming there. Mm-hmm. And how do you determine you that? that? Over time, um, you start to see um, who's sticking with you. And there becomes a core of supporters. And they, all, they become friends. And these people follow the film, and they become passionate about this, and they become your best ambassadors. And you, you cannot... Um, develop this unless you are, you know, real, unless you connect with people person to person. Because as we know, you know, people can tell when somebody's a phony or when, what kind of reasons they're in there for. You have to connect with people on a real basis. Bring them in on the process. Let them feel connected to your production. Exactly. A lot of people want to make films. A lot of people want to make films, but they don't know how to do it. They have stories. And you may pick a topic that they're passionate about too. And, you know, they connect with you. They become a part of it. And But you have to legitimately, and they are a part of your film. They are a part. They're not just kind of somebody who you're trying to use. They are a part of your community. Yes. And they have to feel that. It has to be real. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is exactly the way to do it because in today's world, Word of mouth is still the greatest marketing tool possible. So I guess those people seeing your film would then go and talk to their relatives and friends in other places and talk about it, and that helped, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, these are the folks who are going to, you know, champion champion the work. But I also advise, I would say to, to a filmmaker, it's not so much about you. It's about, um, well, you, you have to create something that resonates with the audience. And they're gonna, they're, they're, you, have to, you have to be with people as if, you, you know, with respect, with, um, with humility. Um, you, you must connect as a person to your audience. You have to. And you do that through your Facebook page by what you post on there? Facebook, Instagram, you know, lesser Twitter. And I don't carry huge audiences on mine. I just have very focused, you know, I don't buy likes. I don't buy, you know, I don't, I don't have any of this artificial stuff. I end up having... Um, people who, one person who's passionate about my film can bring in 10 people who know nothing about your film. Yes, that's right. Exactly. And that's how it worked. And, you know, we had, um, uh, I made connections with uh, universities. Um, and, I, you know, we had people who, young students, um, who would blog about it, who would talk about it, and they would, um, um, how, shall I, how shall I say it? They become, you have to be a real person. Best way to put it. Mm-hmm. As a filmmaker, it does not exist in a vacuum. Okay. So, and you, you have you to make yourself connected. available to the audience so they know you're there, you're posting, and you're available, and you respond to them, right? Absolutely right. Absolutely well, how, right. 
how early on in the uh, production of the film or at what point do you recommend for filmmakers who are working on docs right now, when do you recommend they mm-hmm. start uh, putting their information on Facebook and all the other social medias? How early? As early as possible. You don't have to give away everything. You don't give away the store. You have to, but you have to basically kind of, I don't know a lot of people are leery of, they're afraid that if they put us an idea out there, they think they're going to get copied, that somebody else is going to steal their idea or something. I mean, there's, um, during the process of making my film, Sorry of the Roses, I had other people um, hear the title and like the title, because when I first had, you know, it's a symbol of the city, but I had, you know, for instance, all the um, the top URLs for it, et cetera, et cetera. And it was out there for a long time. And there were even there was even another film that came along who, who, who took the same name. Who tried, who, but it didn't matter because eventually um, we became the film that everybody identified that title with. And, right. Um, so the question really comes down to um, how much do you want to connect and how much do you want to connect with your film as a grassroots over a long period of time? And that personal relationship is key to really building a solid audience, people who will back your project no matter what. Right. Well, this um, distribution, how long did you distribute it? Uh, in theaters mm-hmm. before you went to VOD. How long did you give it? We did it. Um, we started uh, Jan- official VOD. Sorry, official theatrical started in January of um, January of 2018, uh-huh. and we went into and then we went into the summer. So I'd, I'd say about six months, and uh-huh. then it went to VOD in. Um, and uh, via Vimeo, and um, and and uh, I think it was August, and it stayed on Vimeo on right until we moved it to Amazon Prime. And why did you move it over? Well, you know, Amazon has a much larger reach, and I may go back to Vimeo again with another release. It's all part of the strategy that I that I use. And, and mm-hmm. when you're dealing with a film, when you're dealing with a film that's not as so much, you know, stop being heavily promoted, you have to pick very carefully where you funnel your film. You can only, I think that you can only be very, um, you have to be very focused on where you're promoting your film to, to appear. Well, did and you do certain, well financially with uh, Vimeo and um uh, and are you pleased with um, your financial move to Amazon? We, we made Amazon is going to be over, over time. As I said before, this film is going to be at Evergreen. We already made back um, we made back ha- over half of our, our box office um, for the cost of the film within a few months. So oh, at this good. point in time, oh yeah, at this point in time. The money that was put in the investment in the film, which is over eighty eighty something thousand dollars, we made um, we made over half of our money back. That's wonderful. In gross, in gross, that's a normally at a time when a lot of films don't see a penny back. They're still waiting for years. That's right. And from what I hear, I'd like to know what you hear. But from what I hear, Amazon, uh, not Amazon, but Netflix has gone mm-hmm. to a very low price. Well, they actually, mm-hmm. um, I heard that they had paid 25000 for a feature recently, completed feature, yeah. and then uh, Hulu paid 23000 in the next week for a completed feature. So th- this worries me, first of all. <laughs> how did Hulu huh? know that that Netflix was paying so little, and where did Netflix get the guts to offer someone that little money? It's just appalling to me that this is going on. But uh, from what I read, that's crazy. I know it. It is. It's 
It's not fair at all because the two of them, Netflix and uh, Amazon at this time, are putting their money into their own product. So mm-hmm. they are uh, not buying like they were in 2016-17 uh, mm-hmm. from the in, uh, independent filmmakers, and they're not paying the prices they were paying back in those days. Absolutely so, correct. Right? You found that too. Oh, yes. And that was the trend. I saw the trend. And um, we were negotiating for um, for television rights and so on. Um, uh, and I saw the way the way things were going. And people, some of these um, broadcasters, they wanted to pick up all the rights on the film and have complete yes. control over it. And I was like, no way. I'm not signing that. And um, I thought, you know what? Um, I'm going to take the harder road here in a sense because um, it's not about making money so much, but you know you have to get back some some return your investment. And right. What I'm what I'm finding right now, I tell you, Carol, is that the key one of the keys is keeping your district keeping your production costs as low as possible. Yes. Because yes, you know it's key. Yeah, all all the fancy bells and whistles. You have to be focused and focused down on what you need to do. If you keep your production costs low and treat this as a business, you can come out ahead. Well, this worries me because you know I teach a lot of uh, people, and they'll come to me with a budget of a half million dollars to make a niche audience doc. And I'm saying mm-hmm. to them, this is a lot of money to raise. Oh, well, I'm sure mm-hmm. I'll get grants and all this. But the, the time mm-hmm. that it takes you to raise this, if mm-hmm. you could just 50%, it's more like less than 50% is what you really need to make the film. You've got to find a, a better way. But they don't like it when I say these things. No. But it's the truth. You're puncturing, you're popping the balloon. The, the, yeah. the dream, the reality, you're giving them the reality check and they don't appreciate that because a lot of people, uh, and this is, I don't like generalizing, but, uh, you know, as somebody said, in uh, a friend of mine, creatives often don't have, they're not very good at business. And I would say that, I, I would have to say that I, I'm one of those my orientation is just to be mainly creative but out of necessity i've had to basically take the reins of what um what i'm working on and um this kind of ties in you know for you know the the key thing is here here's what it is carol sorry of a roses is the laboratory the is the lab of which in a sense of trying to these new principles of distribution and they've worked much better than I thought they would. And so I decided to write the book to try and put these thoughts down and all these things that I've learned, we're going to, we're looking to apply to the next film and the next film is a much more general audience. So if we apply these very disciplined ways of production, to a film that has a much wider audience, the chance of a, of a larger return on investment and much greater mainstream success expands. Exactly. Well, um, this is, I'm so glad you've got this information for us. I need to, uh, you to tell us where people can buy your self-distribution handbook. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, if you go to go to Amazon.com into the Kindle section and uh-huh. um, uh, just type in the Digital Filmmakers Self Distribution Handbook. Okay. And it's it's available for nine ninety nine, and um, um, you know the, the Amazon takes up a, a, a nice chunk of that. We get three dollars and fifty cents back for every book that's sold, and that goes right back into our into the work. Into the work. Well, good. Oh, this is such a, a, a fair price, Thank because I know how much work it is to do a book. Now, <laughs> yes, are you available for consultations? Well, I'm a teacher as well. I have taught over the years, 
and um, taught workshops. So yes, this is something that I was I was thinking of of doing for filmmakers who might be interested in learning exactly how we do it. So yes, I would say I am open. I'm going to be putting together something for for to to receive uh, to do consultations for filmmakers to try and okay. get them on track. All right. Well, tell us how All they right. can reach you. Oh, um, they can uh, they can uh, get in touch with me best ways via uh, email at mm-hmm. uh, Roger M Richards, R O G E R Amazon Michael Richards at gmail dot com, or okay. just come go via my website, which would be www.rogermrichards.com. dot com. All right. All the information Roger. is on the site. Okay. This is wonderful. Well, we have a few Thank minutes you. left, so I would love to hear about your new film. Oh yeah, well, the one I was uh, I talked about um, um, a friend of a friend of mine came who's an adventurer in uh, in South America for a few years. She has a travel business. She stumbled onto this, um, I should say, something that's a secret that has have had people interested for for um for hundreds of years essentially how how did the inca and those civilizations how did they get those stone so magnificently put together and so smooth and you know how did they shape how did they shape the stone and yes. it, it, and she stumbled into this idea and mentioned it to me a couple of years ago two years ago and said um i think that this is what i found and said they'd like to go back and see if this is really for really for sure because I, I couldn't believe what I saw. I said okay, and we went back and for sure I saw it with my own eyes. And in, in essence, um, this would actually rewrite a lot of the books on how these civilizations were able to prepare the stone. And this is just something that just landed in my lap, and it kind of fits into the um, the focus of my work, which is more or less. Um, why am I doing a film like this? My film is my films are, are tied into my interest in the fragility of our civilization, of history, of empire, and what we found is um, is uh, a really interesting departure for scientists and and historians and archaeologists and so on to go on from. And uh, it's like something out of a. Um, there's no UFOs and that kind of stuff in there. This is actual um, history. And history. Oops, so many different things involved. Oh yes, you will have a really wide audience for this. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. exciting! We're, All right. We're already hearing well, about that. Yes. Oh, how exciting this whole thing would be! Yes, I want to know more about it. Well. Roger, our time is up, but I am so pleased that you took the time to share all this information with us. And for all of us, thank you very much for writing the book and putting everything down as you experienced it so that we can use your information and make money on documentary films. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Carol. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so yes. much. And thank okay. you for all that you do for filmmakers. Okay. Oh. Bye-bye. How kind. Okay. Bye-bye, Roger. Thank you, Claire. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye, Claire. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, 
and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. <laughs>